Welcome back to another episode of the Science of Sports Recovery podcast. I promise you are going to love this episode today. But before I introduce our guest, I need to say one quick thing. I love hearing your feedback. Whether it's an email or a review on iTunes, it helps me understand what you like and what you don't like so I can make this podcast better for you. I mean, it's great for me because I get to talk to a bunch of awesome people about something that I love, but I want to make sure that this podcast is good for you. So send me an email, leave me a review, call it your Christmas present to me. One more thing you can check off your list. Now, to introduce our guest today, Sandy is a functional movement specialist and self-proclaimed movement optimist. And right about now, you're probably thinking to yourself, what the heck is a functional movement specialist? Well, I'll tell you this, what you'll learn in this episode will absolutely blow your mind. She has extensive experience with the NCAA professional athletes and coaches, including the 2016 NBA champions, Cleveland Cavaliers, working with their team to develop strategies to prevent injury, come into every practice and competition with muscles ready to go and guiding athletes to take control of their own recovery practices at home. Her superpower is simplifying the complex, which is a good thing because we're going to get into some movement science on an audio only podcast. So buckle up and get ready to take some notes. Uh, unless you're driving, then just pay attention and listen to this again when you get home or listen to the parts that you want to re-listen when you get home. Okay, let's get into it. You're listening to the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Each week, we explore how to recover more efficiently from training so you can work out harder and realize your full potential. This is the Science of Sports Recovery Podcast. Hey, Sandy, it's great to have you on the show. I'm so excited for our conversation today. Hi, Jace. Me too. Me too. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to start with behind every great professional in the athletic kind of industry lies an athlete. So, and, and I know, you know, you've helped uh, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. You've had all these great um, people that you've worked with, but I want to know a little bit about Sandy, the athlete. I believe you started in soccer. Is that correct? And, and tell us a little bit yes. about you, the athlete. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was six years old, a little on the young side back then, 1971. I've just dated myself now. <laughs> My dad had a beer drinking buddy who was a former professional German soccer player. Mm -hmm. His name was Paul Sterley and his daughter was also six. So Paul wanted him to uh, start a girls soccer team. And it was the first time ever that girls soccer became a league in 1971. The organization wow. was called American Youth Soccer Organization, AYSO, okay. a big famous organization. And um, I played for 10 years. My dad was the coach uh, and Paul Sterley for a few years. And then, you know, we kind of go off into our different ways from there as we yeah. get interspersed on different teams. 
but I played till I was about 16 and, and then I changed course. I did not play in high school or college. Well, little, I didn't play for the high school team. I played, you know, recreational. Okay. Do you remember why, great. why soccer was, is that something your parents did or? Well, I think it was growing. I grew up in Southern California and it was a thing and boys mm. soccer was a thing. And yeah. this was this one dad's attempt among some others to create a girls soccer league. And he roped in my dad to assist it, coach a team. And so yeah. he's like, we're going to play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I remember being like, okay, let's do it. You know, I remember the hard work being kind of a drag at first, but then yeah. I really got into being on a team. It was fun. Yeah. Um, our, for our team name was called the runarounds because that's really all we did <laughs> <laughs> at six, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somewhere yeah, there's a photo of me with all the kids <laughs> and the big banner that the moms made, you know, runarounds. And we were yeah. so proud. <laughs> <laughs> I think soccer is a pretty common sport to start with. I That's one yes. of the first sports I remember playing, too, is that. And I think t-ball and, and wrestling were kind of my three that I started when I was you know, way too young to understand what was going on and <laughs> all that. Yeah. Was, it's literally just running around. Doing what the you know coach says, but not really listening because you don't understand type of deal. Right. <laughs> um, so, so after sixteen, did you play any other sports or or just? I swam. Um, I swam. I did synchronized swimming and swim team, and I I loved synchronized swimming. Didn't like swimming laps so much, but that was the conditioning piece you had to do. Sure. In order to do the the dance piece that was synchronized swimming, and I did diving for a short bit sophomore year 16 hit and i decided to abandon ship and become part of the drill team <laughs> in the marching band which was okay another form of movement it wasn't necessarily a sport or athletic but uh yeah. it definitely filled a, a an, an interest in move i was a mover i liked to move i was always outside i had a classic 70s you know southern california upbringing i was always outside on my skateboard and roller skates and you felt safe being out and your parents would call you for dinner and then you'd come in and then you'd go right back out again. Yeah. So I was always a mover and, uh, you know, skateboard bikes. We rode our bike to school. We walked to school. It was a wonderful time to grow yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I should switch to dancing marching band and that was a different creative outlet that I was ready for. Cool. Soccer also got super competitive and I wasn't as strong as some of the other girls or maybe I wasn't, I wasn't as brave. Um, okay. I didn't like getting hit with the ball in the face. I didn't like getting tackled, even though that wasn't supposed to happen. It did. Yeah. You know, certain athletes were sure. just tougher. I just lost my nerve of being so tough. Yeah. I didn't want to get hurt. Yeah. And I think that's a, a, a huge dropout time for kids between the ages of, you know, 13 and in high school. Um, yeah. When a lot of kids lose their nerve or, don't get accepted to, on the team because they're not good enough. And I remember having those feelings, but there was something else calling me. So I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately that's what, that's how I got into running rather than football. Uh, I didn't make the decision. My brothers did. They were tired of getting beat up in football and they were like, right. You know, six foot, 130 pounds dripping wet. So it was like, <laughs> they, they weren't cut out for football, but they went out for cross country. And then, I was like, well, I'm going to do, you know, whatever my brothers do. So uh, just kind of followed them there. So I, I never had that contact sport experience in 
you know, in my teenage years, but uh, cool. So you're a mover. It makes sense that, you know, you get into kind of the movement specialist as a career, but um, I reckon it wasn't just a straight path from, you know, 16 year old you being moving to, hey, I'm going to be a functional movement specialist. So how did you get there? Well, let's see. I, you know, finished high school, went to college to study journalism and advertising, a business minor, and I toyed with radio, TV, and film. And I took five years to get through college because I changed my major a few times and then eventually subbed on journalism. And it was right in the 80s when aerobic dance was becoming a thing. Jazzercise was morphing into health clubs were being built out in California, and my yeah. parents had joined a club. and. And aerobic dance sort of uh, reminded me of twirling a flag and being on the drill team. So I joined some aerobics classes and I loved how it was dance oriented and group oriented and team oriented in a way. So I was lucky to have caught that wave when it hit. Uh, but in college, I also took an elective course one semester called... Uh, it was a six unit lab course called elements of human performance. And I was really interested in perhaps changing my major again. <laughs> yeah. My parents were like, no, no, you're a junior now and you're already going to take an additional year. So that class lit, lit me up. I remember focusing on it a hundred percent. I got a straight A. I even had to get permission to get in the class because it was not a, you know, it was a class you had to be on the path for human performance, a human yeah. performance degree. But I somehow weaseled my way in. I forget how, but <laughs> I did so well. You know, I loved it. And I, I remember going home to my parents saying I wanted to change my major. And they were like, finish what you started. You can always change the course. I think they were, my dad, I remember saying, your options are going to be to teach high school PE and what else? I mean, back then there weren't so many careers in the sport and fitness yeah, field. He seriously. wasn't wrong. But we know now that. I forget some of the college tours I've heard from my own kids where uh, a large percentage of the jobs of the future don't even exist yet. So um, I'm glad I can be open-minded like that with my kids because parents are just trying to do the right thing for their kids. So um, they were right. I finished my degree in journalism. I worked in advertising and business and um, I jumped right into working for a sports magazine. That was the that job sort of lit me up because it kind of combined my interest in both fields. I also ended up getting certified to teach aerobics in 1986, the first year a certification was ever offered. Okay. So I was able to, you know, finish, you know, dance and aerobics and jump right into to being coming a teacher. And mm -hmm. that, that was always my side hustle all through my 20s is I would move to a different city and teach at a health club and immediately have a connection to people in fitness and and yeah. make a little money on the side and it kept me fit. Yeah. Sweet. So when, when did you, uh, decide like you're going to go all in on your side hustle then? Well, I was working for the sports magazine, was exposed to a lot of really cool trends and industry things and trade shows I would get to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I, I also moonlighted on cruise ships, they would hire an aerobics instructor to travel for free or for pay. I did a few different gigs like that. So I got to oh, yeah, see cool. the world uh, a few different times. Um, then on one of the cruise ships, I met my husband, my now husband, and we had a long distance relationship for a while. I ended up falling in love with him. 
I ended up moving to Cleveland, Ohio, where I live now, um, 26 years ago uh, for love. <laughs> yeah. And it was when we were deciding to start a family and have kids that I decided to not go into sales here in Cleveland uh, and not pursue a business career, but to choose to teach fitness classes and do personal training. So I got certified to be a trainer 26 years ago and did a little bit of that while we prepared to have kids. Awesome. And I did some writing for a local uh, fitness and sports magazine here. I had a fitness column once a month there. So I got to combine my, my degree with, you know, my love for fitness. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. So love brought you to Cleveland and and then that's where you got. So um, then. Oh, go ahead. So then uh, in Cleveland, uh, I started to get into yoga because I had a nagging neck injury that was not going away. Saw many doctors, physical therapists, x-rays, MRIs. Nothing was really structurally wrong. And one doctor said to me after a few years of struggling, he said, you know, you've had a a very uh, tumultuous few years, exciting nonetheless, in uprooting your life, moving to Cleveland, getting married. Uh, My mother also battled breast cancer during that time. So the doctor said to me, you know, I think that you should do two things. There's nothing structurally wrong with your neck. I think that you should do, I think you should try yoga. And I think maybe you should try some talk therapy. And I remember leaving his office really pissed. Did you say talk? (laughs) Like, like, go see a therapist. Oh, like, go to see a therapist. Interesting. He, he he had an inkling that this was bigger than um, muscular. It certainly mm. wasn't anything structurally wrong with my neck. Okay. So I did both. I sought out a therapist and sorted through some of my challenges, which again were exciting, but nonetheless, a lot of change in just a few years yep. for me. And I did that for about six weeks. And I also tried yoga and I stayed with yoga. I ended up being a true student of yoga for a couple of years and then uh, deciding there was an opportunity to open a yoga studio here. First, I rented a room, just taught in this rented room at a health club. And then I, um, we, my husband and I decided it was time to search for some real estate and build out a real yoga studio. Mm. So I did did that. And I ended up owning a yoga studio for over 20 years. It was called evolution yoga. And it was a nucleus for teachers and area people to just learn about yoga. I had, I I hosted a lot of workshops where people would travel in from all over the world to teach. That was the cornerstone for why I wanted to have a bigger studio. I wanted to be able to host educational content for myself to learn and grow and for the community to grow. Um, And that was my favorite part of having a yoga studio. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I eventually got certified and then I started training teachers and just have been a voracious student of the body for as long yeah. as I can remember since that college course. And I trace it all the way back to soccer and my dad, you know, teaching me to be an athlete and to be embodied, to be in my body and, and understand and know my body and respect it. Yeah. Now you call yourself and other people call you a functional movement specialist, somebody listening right now say, okay, what, what's the difference between a yoga, like instructor or teacher or, you know, functional movement specialist? Well, one of the things I realized I was in over my head with a little bit as a yoga studio owner was that people would come to yoga and say, well, my doctor sent me, I have neck pain, I have shoulder pain, I have back pain. And my doctor said I should try yoga. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yoga's great. Let's go. Yeah. 
but my only course of action to help somebody in a group class was to say, well, if you can't do this part of the class, just take child's pose or here's a block, make it easier. And I felt like that was not enough. Yeah. So I just, I sought information on my own with each student to try to be more helpful. I always loved props. I always loved making things workable. Um, I never really subscribed to one teacher, one style of yoga, even though I did get certified in one method. Uh, and that teacher was a very impactful teacher for me. Um, it wasn't, it, it gave a lot of room for me to still explore the physical side of what was appropriate for myself and my students. Uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, and then I just started using the internet to study what I could find. You know, I would Google problems. I would find people of inspiration. I would read their content, buy their, you know, videos, buy their, I, I really learned a lot on the yeah. internet <laughs> at first. So, that was yeah. the way so, I gained and, and grew. It, it sounds like so, you take, yeah. you take, like yoga a step further you're not necessarily learning the yoga i mean you obviously you had to learn the yoga but you're learning the body beyond like what the moves are actually doing so does that kind of sum it up pretty i mean like you're learning yeah. how the body's supposed to function and then putting yoga into that kind of Yes. At first, yoga is about teaching what you were taught in your teacher training. Like here's the 55 poses or whatever that mm. you know are pretty common in every yoga class. Um, but I began to personalize it for people. And I began to teach smaller classes in a smaller yeah. room with more props and more specialization for each person. Yeah. I started to do privates and have a strong interest in helping, you know, people solve problems. Um, and so I felt like my toolbox needed more than yoga than those certainly those mm. classic 55 or so yoga poses. So I yeah. sought out other ways and other modalities. Um, I had also, you know, when I lived in California, I took many classes in other modalities in mind body practices, somatics, for example, the Alexander technique or um, Feldenkrais. I took a lot of courses in what's called somatic movement, mm. um, mind body movement that doesn't, that isn't about yoga. Yeah. So I drew, drew on those old things and I thought, I'm interested in helping the person and I just need a broader toolbox. Um, and then I sought out a form of training, a certification called yoga tune up um, that I'm now a teacher trainer for that brand and learned a lot more about anatomy and uh, using self massage tools, rubber therapy mm. balls to teach people how to do their own joint mobilizations and soft tissue yeah. healthcare. Um, I learned more novel ways to move and to contextualize yoga and movement shapes based on what that person's life needed yeah. and that opened my world into a much bigger place and my students started becoming athletic individuals hearing that I had a special room called the school room where we had these classes called jungle yoga uh, prop <laughs> yoga mobility yeah. in yoga and so I started to draw an athletic crowd awesome awesome so that kind of takes us to the Cleveland Cavalier conversation which i know a lot of people are are dying to hear this so um let's start with 2015 uh, and then why were you or how did you get involved and, and what did you kind of do for the cavaliers well if, if you know anything about cleveland those of you listening uh cleveland fans are cleveland are the best fans <laughs> 
for their sports teams, rain or shine, right? Yeah. Win or lose. I have a son and a husband who are avid Cleveland sports fans. And so you just kind of fall into that when you're here. Sure. Uh, it feels like a small town based from Southern California, where I was from, where, where it's so spread out and has, you know, multiple sports teams. In Cleveland, there's just one football, one basketball, one baseball. So the head strength coach from the Cavaliers had been a, an occasional student at my studio over the years. I never really knew him personally, but I knew his name and I'd met him once or twice when he'd come into practice. Yeah. Uh, so there we were watching 2015 where the Cavs played the Warriors in the championships in the finals. And they lost in the final game and had three or four unresolved ankle injuries, lower leg injuries that, um, it was very frustrating for me to see uh, everybody in the city to see, but knowing what I knew about soft tissue care and teaching people how to manage their own pain and dysfunction. Mm -hmm. uh, I literally opened up my laptop at the latter part of the finals when it looks like it was, you know, tooth and nail. Actually, it wasn't the, the finals game. It was like game three or game four where it was another loss for us mid series. Yeah. And I, I had the strength coach's email address from the database for my studio. So I emailed him and I said, Hey, I think I've got something that you should take a look at. I'm watching all these ankle injuries and um, I think I can help, you know, let's get together. So he followed me promptly. Uh, the following day after that email, I was a bit surprised, but also not surprised at all. And that began a relationship where uh, once they got through those, you know, playoffs and ended up not winning, and once they had some downtime, we began to get together and do privates just for him to show him what I could teach him mm -hmm. to teach his guys. And I spent about four months working with him and some of the training camp players to help them know how to do their soft tissue care on their lower legs. Um, and then they went on in 2016 to make the playoffs again and, and win. And that was a really fun game to watch and series to watch because yeah. not only did they win, but they pretty much came out unharmed from ankle and lower leg injuries. So yeah. that was pretty big. And I'm so honored to have a small, you know, connection to that. Um, they yeah. are a superior team, superior coaches. Um, you know, I came in a handful of times and taught them some things and, uh, it was a heck of a lot of fun to be a little bit a part of that. So, yeah, that's an awesome story. And, and so true, a testament to, you have to get to the start line or, you know, the start of the game healthy. I mean, bottom line is you can't perform if you're not healthy. And mm -hmm. in in all sports, I, I, I can't think of a sport that lower leg injuries isn't uh, a problem besides maybe swimming or um, something that, you know, non-impactful. Um, so let's get into to kind of the injury prevention part of this. Uh, where do you start? I know you mentioned soft tissue um, mobilization, or uh, I'm probably butchering that. But um, like, what do you start when you're looking at? Okay, how do I strengthen my knees and my ankles? So whether I'm running, whether I'm playing basketball, whether I'm playing football, I don't get injured as likely. Well, one of the things I added to my practice for my clients after that experience with the Cavaliers, um, I looked into functional movement systems trainings, uh, functional movement screen, FMS, 
Okay. Uh, which is uh, a 20 plus year old system of uh, screening movement patterns. Um, and it's pretty much the gold standard in collegiate and professional sports for that. And I got a taste of that when I was working with the Cavaliers. So I thought that is a really interesting thing that I should not only use for athletes that I'm working mm -hmm. with, but everyday people could stand to learn about functional movement and how you can spot weakest links or even blind mm. spots, you know, areas you don't perceive very well yeah. um, through a movement screen. I mean, we screen blood pressure, we screen, screen for heart disease, yeah. we screen vision. Um, we need to be looking at um, what Gray Cook, the founder of, uh, co-founder of functional movement calls vital signs, movement vital signs. Yeah. Um, so that I related to that a lot. Um, because so what, what is it, like it also a, a helped what is a movement screen? When you when you say movement screen, what do you mean by that? Well, I take them through seven movement patterns and evaluate their uh, a score, how they perform. Okay. So it's not like of how to score that. Like range of motion stuff or? Mm, yes. Like, can you do a squat? Can you do a hinge? Can you do okay. a single leg stance? Can you do... Um, uh, can't, what's your shoulder mobility look like? It looks at your joint range of motion in various patterns of movement. Um, okay. And basically it helps. I like it because it helps not only for me to see more clearly how to help a client, but it helps that client to see themselves more clearly because mm. there's a baseline that you should be able to do, yeah. you know, and if you can't, you should want to know what you can do to improve upon that. And that's not, that's not being done in school as a normal thing and it sure. it's a it's a bummer it really it really could it really should be yeah so there's a there's a quest by functional movement systems to bring this out of the athletic space i'm i'm a teacher that's doing that um mm. and i think it's i recommend it all the time to trainers who come see me me to help i just finished working with a, a woman a personal trainer who wanted to up her own game working with her clients and that was one of the huge recommendations i had for her is this will help you help them yeah. better beyond the aesthetic part of fitness you know how yeah. can you how can you function better? Yeah. Um, it just helps you see more clearly. And I, I related, you know, that's, that's really the definition and meaning of yoga is can you see more clearly? Can you see yourself more clearly? That's what the practice is really mm. about, all about. Can you pay attention? And are you, can you see? It's, a, it's about um, sharpening your vision on yourself. Yeah. So I saw FMS as a way of, of uh, helping me help people see how they sure. move better because how you move affects how you perform. If you lack ankle range of motion or shoulder range of motion, it will hold you back. It's yeah. kind of akin to driving with a parking brake on. You can get a lot done and young people, certainly collegiate and professional athletes or young, talented people that make it to that level. Um, but if you've got some dysfunction, you might be able to still play your sport and win, but you might not be able to move your shoulder in five years after that. <laughs> you know, it depends on your hip or your knee. Yeah. So, um, and I really do think that it, it, the more self ownership an athlete can take at a younger age, the better off they'll be at their sport, better, mm -hmm. the more coachable they'll be. The cues will land better from a coach when an athlete knows what a hip hinge is and how they can, how they, if they know the form of their squat and if they know how that translates to movement in their sport, um, it makes someone more coachable and it just makes them more have self ownership when they're off the field or yeah. off, off the, off the track 
like, oh, well, my hip hurts. Now I know what to do to help mm-hmm. my hip mobility. I know that my hips are tight. Now what I now I know what to do. You know, my ankles are tight. Yeah. My shoulders are tight. And and there's a bigger definition to the word tight. What does tightness mean? Is tight a problem? Do we always need to stretch something that's tight? I think t- tight is a sort of word that represents tensional imbalance. Sometimes that means a stretch is needed. Sometimes that means a strengthening exercise is needed, right? Mm. You go to physical therapy for an injury and they might teach you some stretches, but they always hand you that little rubber band to do some lower load strengthening exercises. Yeah. Right? So it's all about tensional balance to awesome. uh, improve an area. One oh. isn't wrong and the other isn't bad. You know, yeah. it's not that you shouldn't strength train or you shouldn't go to yoga. You should do both and understand tensional balance for yourself and for the various joints and parts about of yourself. Yeah. So I, I like the idea of having like these movement screens and, and being able to understand them to understand like, am I at risk for, you know, something down the road? Um, if we're focusing on, you know, the knees and the ankles, what are the the main movements that if somebody's listening, say they're listening in their living room right now, um, what like could you take them through of movement and see if they're at risk for maybe some uh, in- injury in the in the knee or the ankle? Yes. Well, if you stand up right now, I'm going to stand so I can b- better verbalize what I'm t- talking people through. If you stand up and put one foot, let's put the right foot forward like a, like you're taking a walking step forward and then place your left foot behind your right foot. So your big left big toe is backed up to your right heel. It's like I'm standing on a tightrope in a way right now. And if you keep both heels on the ground and you bend your knees and send your knees forward, try to keep your back heel down, your left heel down. Can you? Look down and see your front of your left knee crosses over the right ankle bone, what's called the medial malleolus, your inner right ankle bone. Or does it stay behind the right ankle bone or does it protrude past it? Remember, keep that left heel down in the back. So that's called ankle dorsiflexion. And that's something that we look for in FMS and I look for all the time. I don't care what type of athlete or human you are or what you do um, because ankles that lack range of motion will create uh, dysfunction. Something will have to compensate in your, your knee, your foot, your hip. It's okay. just the system has to, all, the whole body is a system of systems and needs to yeah. function as a whole unit. So things will compensate. So basically in an FMS, we score uh, a passing score, if you will, if that front knee uh, comes close to the front ankle bone. Anything less means you probably lack some ankle dorsiflexion and you could stand to mobilize your ankles a bit. Okay. And you said front knee to um, what you, you cut out just a little bit there. Oh, I'm sorry. So if you're on that train track with your feet, left yep. foot behind, right foot forward, Keep both heels down. Yep. Do a little bit of a squat and bend your knees down. You want that left knee to come forward over the right ankle bone. So the right, what's called the medial malleolus, what we think of as the ankle bone. Okay. That, really that bone that kind of protrudes that you can touch. Yes. And, and, okay. 
it's it's really the bottom of your tibia bone. It's not its own bone. Yeah. It's a bony landmark of the tibia and it's okay. on your inner ankle. And we often think of it as an ankle bone. Here's a fun yeah. fact. You actually don't have an ankle. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. Your ankle, there's no ankle bone. There's no knee bone, right? Yeah. An ankle is, I call an ankle, I call joints a situation. <laughs> you have an ankle situation. You have a relationship yeah. of bones and soft tissue that yeah. comprise the ankle. So when someone says my ankle hurt, I'm looking at the foot. I'm looking at the tibia. I'm looking at your knee. I'm looking at the inner part of your ankle, the outer. I'm looking at the arches of your feet. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that I need to look at to understand and teach you about your ankle. Yeah. Um, sense and the knee, same thing. You don't actually have knees. You have two situations. <laughs> you have two relationships yeah. <laughs> uh, and one in each leg. You've got your tibia bone. That's your lower leg bone. One of them. And you've got your kneecap, which mm -hmm. is famous, right? And you've got your femur, your thigh bone, those three yeah. bones and how they relate together with your fibula, another lower leg bone, and all the soft tissues that hold that knee joint together. That is the knee. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So when when we go to, you know, you're standing on the line, your front, you're doing kind of a squat and your back knee doesn't get past that ankle bone or that um, protruding thing that we would call an ankle bone. Um, you've essentially failed the test. What, why, or obviously there could be multiple reasons why potentially, but, um, what's kind of most common for someone not to be able to flex like that? Well, shoes, love them, love shoes. We have to wear shoes but they tend to uh, restrict movement in mm. the feet or ankles, especially boots. I live in Cleveland where we wear boots a lot of the time, right? Okay. Um, you got to, and, and certainly athletic shoes, for example, basketball, you know, ankle yeah. top, uh, they're less high up the ankle these days than they used to be. Um, so um, yeah, you, you need to be able to move your ankles. And so shoes are one thing that restrict movement just sure. lack of knowledge lack of understanding another reason why as a collective we lack re ankle range of motion is that we just don't we just don't bend into that dorsiflex position enough and yeah. one of the reasons we don't is we stop at sitting in chairs if you sit on the floor more you're going to require more ankle bend to get down on the floor and you're going to require more uh, you know, ankle and knee, you know, bend and straightening to get back up. There's just greater range of motion needed in your ankles, knees and hips yeah. when you get up and down off the ground. So one of the first things I recommend to anyone that wants to work on ankle mobility is get down on the floor several times a day. I ha I'm sitting close to the ground as I talk to you right now. So I've got a deeper bend in my hip, a deeper bend in my knees, and I have quite dorsiflexed ankles as I'm sitting here talking to you. So I get credit for doing some mobility on these three joints during this podcast. Nice. So right now, get off <laughs> your chair, everybody, and sit down on the floor and change yeah. positions several times. The goal isn't to be static in one position in a chair mm. or on the ground, but to constructively fidget around during the course of time, for example, listening to a yeah. podcast. Or I try to have my coffee in the morning and do my reading on my iPad while sitting on the floor, and I'll shift mm -hmm. positions maybe 10 to 30 times, depending how much time I'm devoting to reading and having coffee so that I've gotten in all my different bends in yeah. these joints. 
And also, no joke, your digestive organs shift and move around as you shift around and you're on the ground, you're in a subtle side bend in some of these positions, and you will feel your lower digestive organs move, including the food within them, and you will have better bowels for it. (laughs) (laughs) No joke. Uh, We have to talk digestion. So working on your ankles and working on your digestion, sitting on the floor, it's it's um there's a wonderful book by yeah. Dr. Philip Beach. He's an osteopath and it's called Muscles and Meridians. It's quite sciency, so if you're not interested in really getting into some science, the first half is about embryology and how we were formed as humans from the womb. Uh and then the second half is about what he calls the archetypal positions of rest. And he goes over all how sitting on the ground helps you literally biomechanically tune yourself. It's how we used to mm-hmm. sit before we had furniture. And there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, and if you look at pictures of tribal people that grew up sitting on the ground they ha- and, and moving throughout their day and walking a lot, they have incredibly toned legs and strong glutes because they're always getting up from the ground. That takes quite a bit of thigh and glute muscle to do that. Yeah. Um, so it's know. a great thing to I- bring into our modern life to rewild ourselves yeah so you might not know this but you're talking to the least flexible uh runner you probably ever have i (laughs) like at one point in my college career my motto was uh stretching was a waste of time before i knew you know kind of all this so i didn't um i didn't i didn't do it (laughs) and i at one point i could barely touch my knees you know bending over and stuff but i married um, someone really flexible and someone who likes to play board games on the ground and like sit on the living room floor instead of at the table. And boy, my first couple of years of marriage, like that hurt <laughs> sitting on the ground and she'd always make fun of me and stuff. But now I've gotten kind of used to it and I can tell a huge difference just in like, especially through my um, pelvis area everything is a little right? bit looser and i'm not dealing with low back pain you know after every long run and and that kind of stuff so there's definitely uh, anecdotal evidence at least on my side that uh that kind of stuff works so oh um, it totally works it totally works and it fits in with your day i mean yeah who's got an extra half hour to do some stretching every night it's we're everybody's busy and so mm you know, combining things like sitting on the floor while doing some reading um, is a great way to sneak it in. Yeah. Or play board games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or listen to a podcast. Um, well, you, t- I know with like the Cavaliers and stuff and you're big on movement prep um, before competition, before, you know, workouts and that kind of stuff, which uh, when I first met you, I wasn't even you. You brought up this term movement prep, and I wasn't even sure what that was. For anybody listening, um, it's essentially getting your body ready for movement. Um, you might refer to it as part of your warm up, but um, can you talk to us about why movement prep, like preparing your body for an actual competition or for a workout, is so important? Yes, uh, we know what warming up means, and that means getting some heat into the body, right, to prep the engine for 
the sport or movement. Yeah. Uh, think of movement prep as just a, uh, you know, um, an, a, a, an advancement of that, meaning doing things specific to the movements you're going to be doing in your sport. Like if you're going for a run, yeah. we know now that static stretching before a run isn't really the best thing you should do. Save that for after, right? Yeah. But you should do some light jogging. You should work on your ankles. You should warm up your shins. That's what movement prep is. And it's just gotten a lot more sophisticated now, again, with the internet and and sports performance and seeing these young athletes now playing well into their late 30s. <laughs> um, the re- one of the reasons they're able to do that now is because they got they've gotten more sophisticated about training and warming up okay. and warming down and recovery and sleep and all the things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how so how would you go about designing prep, yeah. uh like movement prep? Should everybody? I mean, most teams they go through the same set of dynamic warm ups or same sort of warm ups for every person. It's kind of a one size fits all approach. Should there be um, some variability based on the person, or is that one size fit all? As long as it's done right, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, for example, I went to the gym today and I was working on pulling the pulling pattern. So my warm up consisted of light pulling movements. We have a rope ergometer at the gym. It's kind of this machine that uh, is a rope on a loop and you sit down and you reach yeah. up and you, it's like you're climbing a rope, but you never actually go anywhere. Yeah. So I put it on the, one of the light, very light resistance settings and I just climbed, you know, probably for two to three minutes. And yeah. I really was reaching through my rib cage and getting my arm up overhead. And that was prepping my pulling muscles as I gathered that rope down mm-hmm. with each rep. So, uh, or I would jump on a rowing machine. I didn't do it today because I was in a hurry, but I would pull from different angles. So that's one uh, type of movement prep. Uh, I'm always suggesting that people keep a kettlebell in their work office. A lot of my clients are working from home these days. So Mm. I suggest they put a kettlebell or some dumbbells in their actual office space. And in between zoom calls, you know, do some deadlifts with lighter weight, just uh, prepping the hip hinge so that you can, um, you can, when you're sitting, your glutes are turned off. So when you stand up and do some light deadlifts in your office, you wake up your glute muscles and mm. the glute muscles there are, are there to help stabilize your pelvis and set the position of your pelvis. So it's a great complement to sitting. And, and then when you have to go to the gym later that day, or you want to go out for a run, you've movement prepped your glutes, your hip hinge, your yeah. hip hinge happens with every step you take, you know, hip extension, mm-hmm. hip flexion. That's the hinging yeah. of the hip. Interesting. Uh, you said your glutes are essentially like sleeping or turned off when you're sitting in a chair. Is that the same when you're sitting on the floor or um, is, is there a difference is there too? No, pretty much. Think about it. If you're sitting right now, your glutes, are they flexed? Do you feel like you need them to flex at all? Not really. They're more like a cushion, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we don't need them, but you will use them when you stand up from the chair. Got it. Um, and one of the reasons I suggest doing the hip hinge exercise at work is because many times we don't think about putting our mind in our glute muscles and we stand up maybe dysfunctionally. Maybe mm. we use more of our quads and maybe we use more of our lower back. 
and there's no consciousness in the glutes because they've been used as a seat cushion. So there's yeah. no wonder the mind body connection there gets a little disconnected. Sure. Um, and if you're not using your glutes to help yourself stand up, that's the primary movement of the glutes are hip extension of standing up out of a mm-hmm. chair. Um, well, you're, low back might do more work than it really needs to do. And low back pain is a big deal in our culture. So having more awakened glutes is a great way to circumvent that. So whether you're getting up and down off the floor or a chair, there's opportunity there to use your glutes to stand up. So I just make that conscious with people. Yeah. So say I'm getting ready for kind of a a one dimensional um, event, like, the mile. Uh, I mean, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. You're running straight forward. You don't have to do any, um, you know, arm movements outside of, you know, the running motion. And, and that does it make sense to movement prep or to warm up like in, in some sideways fashion to get hips and, and other types of movement? Or is it just okay to say, hey, as long as you're warming up the muscles that you're going to be used, putting that, you know, mind body connection, then, and you know, you get the body warm, you should be good to go. Uh, yes. And yes. <laughs> uh, you want to warm up the muscles needed for the thing you're exactly going to do. Yeah. Um, if you think there might be variety in what you're going to need to do, for example, a trail run, you might have to hop a little bit sideways as you go, yeah. right. To circumvent the, the terrain you're on. Uh, so yes, that would be a case for doing some side to side movement. Also, um, you don't really know when you're going to miss step during a run. And if you know how to land well or a roll on your outer ankle, for example, if you've trained that range of motion, um, you'll roll your ankle and land a little more gracefully and those tissues won't be as surprised when you do mm. roll an ankle. Does that make sense? Yeah. One of the warm up exercises I use with runners or athletes like basketball players is to walk on your outer edges of your feet as part mm. of your movement prep. Like once again, training that external ankle to have load because yeah. it will happen in basketball. It will happen when you're running and you hit a rock or you just trip, right? So be yeah. prepared for uh, alternative ranges of motion that aren't normal. Be trained to yeah. to 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 have mistakes. In other words, train them, speed the mistakes. Okay. No be able to land well in the mistakes. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't do any of that stuff in high school. I had a lot of ankle like little injuries in, in basketball, but I did. Um, I didn't even know why I was doing it, but I walked on the outside of my ankles for warmups all through college and stuff. Good. And um, just the other day, I was running an obstacle course race over weird terrain and I rolled both ankles, you know, partway through the race and stuff. But uh, I could still run the next day, you know, so it was like, mm-hmm. uh, my ankles must be stronger. Um, but it le- leads me to a, a good point about ankles. And I want to get your kind of take on this. I know there's kind of a debate between high tops or low tops, especially in basketball. Um, meaning like, okay, high tops, they might provide a little bit su- more support, but then it's making your ankles not have to work as hard. So they get weaker. What are your kind of thoughts on, on that? Well, uh, you know, the athletic trainers are pretty savvy these days and know 
if an athlete needs to be taped and how much, um, uh, you want your feet in training to be able to express themselves fully and your ankles to be able to express themselves fully, Mm -hmm. but sport, you know, game situations, game time situations are not always normal situations. They are um, extreme situations. So for the protection of the athlete, you would tape the ankle. Um, and you got to get through the game, you know, especially if you have a tweak there or something that's not feeling quite right, get through the game. That's, that's your job. Um, but if you're playing for recreational purposes, I'm a big fan of, uh, not having your ankles strapped up so that you can't use them. Um, but there's reasons to do that for sure. And a little bit of like a converse high top sneaker is still going to give you great range of motion and give you yet a little bit of support. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like the idea of maybe during your warm ups or when you can control the situation, have a little bit more freedom with that ankle. But when stakes are high and you can't control yes. the other team, you know, <laughs> you don't know if you're exactly. going to land where you're going to land, that kind of stuff, um, have more protection. I like that philosophy. So, um, I want to get into the the use of therapy balls. Um, cause I, I know we touched on that a little bit in the beginning. Um, and uh, there's, I think it's pretty common for especially colleges to have things like foam rollers, you know, lacrosse balls or, or, or those kinds of s- stuff. But I don't think that we do the best job of educating people on how to use them. It's kind of like go foam roll for 10 minutes and like, okay, how, <laughs> you know, right. uh, so walk us through, um, how maybe we should think about using a therapy ball um, and, and what's its kind of purpose or if there's some common uses you want to walk us through and, and, and go through that. Uh, well, I started with a foam roll years ago given to me by a physical therapist. Uh, and then I started using two lacrosse balls taped together from a CrossFit coach I had many years ago. Um, and if some of you listening uh, know who Kelly Starrett is, if you have a lacrosse ball in your gym bag, you know who Kelly Starrett is. He sort of made that famous. He's a physical therapist, strength and conditioning coach and creator of, uh, the ready state used to be the mobility wad, who is a, uh, a great resource for learning how to do your own mobilizations. Um, uh, I've sort of graduated from those tools and found a company called tune up fitness that makes rubber therapy balls, really inexpensive. They are affordable. They are portable. They are grippy and rubber and pliable. And they more like, they more mimic the hand of a masseuse, whereas a lacrosse ball is hard and firm and slick. Mm -hmm. Um, The rubber will, when rolled on your forearm, for example, um, will create a local stretch or shear or a separation between the skin and fascias and super mm. superficial fascias, deeper fascias, muscle tissues, bone and back yeah. and everything in between. So again, it's more like a, a masseuse's hand. It gets more um, okay. local movement and local stretch going, whereas a tennis ball is fuzzy and slippery. A lacrosse ball is slick and a foam roll is, you know, usually done on top of clothing. Um, and, also doesn't get that sheer so it's a great tool these these tools are priced anywhere from you know 13 to 15 dollars a pair for these balls and upwards of to 30 like between the 15 and 30 dollar range totally worth your investment tuneupfitness.com is the the um 
manufacturer and also a, a wonderful resource of blogs and videos and trained teachers like me all over the world to learn how to use these tools. And these tools can help with self-myofascial release or yeah. massage, um, joint mobilization, and what we okay. call embodiment or how to create a deeper sense of um, perception or proprioception, how mm. to basically live better in your body through touch through empowerment of yeah. learning how to take care of your own aches and pains with these tools. So it's a combination, a one-two punch of, you know, these superior products with the educational component that yeah. the company offers. Awesome. So you're mimicking kind of that massage from a, you know, massage or masseuse. And though it's been documented, well, well known kind of the benefits of that. Um, but what are like some movements? I mean, obviously we're not, a, most people listening haven't gone to massage therapy school, anything like that. Um, so is it as simple as kind of rubbing it where it hurts or, uh, you know, holding it on, on where you feel pain or what's kind of your system there? Well, and compared to a foam roll again, think of a foam roll as a butter knife. Okay. And think of the four different kinds of tune-up fitness therapy balls. Um, the brand is actually called Role Model Therapy Balls. Um, they're kind of like having a chef's set of knives. Like if you go in your kitchen, you're not going to use a butter knife to cut a tomato, right? Nothing would yeah. happen. You need a serrated <laughs> knife for that. Yeah. Or you're going to use a you're going to use a paring knife to trim the stem out of an apple or Okay. You're going to use a bread knife to cut through a fresh loaf of sourdough, right? There's different knives for different reasons. So yeah. this the, using, learning how to use different tools properly on your own body will make you more of a gourmet chef for how to treat your own aches and mm, pains. I like that. Uh, and these days, you know, um, we need to know more to do better for ourselves because it's, you know, with COVID, you know, just simply calling up the doctor because you have, uh, an ache or a pain or a sniffle, we're all being a little more conscious of trying to do things on our own now. Yeah. So time is even more, even more important than ever to learn how to take pain and dysfunction into your own hands to manage. It's very empowering. Yeah. I, I I've probably saved multiple trips down the medical path because I've circumvented uh, a tweak in a body part because I've known where and how to use the therapy balls yeah. um, as part of my movement prep or recovery to get my joints ready for greater work. Yeah. And, and it's, it's possible for you to do the same, you yeah. know? And do you, do you teach like specific classes on how to use the, the therapy ball for certain, like say I had, you know, elbow pain or shoulder pain, um, you know, do you get that specific on, okay, how this is kind of how to open up that area? Cause the name of the game essentially is blood flow. If I'm not mistaken to get blood circulating to that area to help your body kind of repair itself. But, um, do you teach specifics like that in, in some of the classes that you're doing? Yes, I do. Uh, with, you know, ever since COVID, um, I've been teaching virtually. I started a virtual studio called mm -hmm. MoveWell Virtual Studio at union.fit. Uh, and I 
teach two classes a week. One is called Self-Massage and Mobility. It's a 45-minute evening class, about 8 p.m. Eastern time, right before bed. And there's always a theme, a body region of the week, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, A few weeks ago, I did ankle mobility. Last week, I did T-spine mobility. This week is gut health uh, and T-spine. Um, with yeah. Thanksgiving week coming, everyone could stand to <laughs> learn how to treat their gut this week. Um, yeah. So yes, uh, that's my Wednesday night class. And then I do a Sunday class called uh, Weekly Reset and Flow, which is a total body yoga inspired class that also uses okay. the therapy balls a tiny bit movement prep, and it's geared towards active and athletic people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is all like virtually, right? So you could have anybody who's listening from anywhere um, kind of log into these classes, watch you live, yeah. also follow along afterwards and, and that kind of stuff too. Yes. It's a really affordable membership or you can just do a drop-in class. Um, and it's on your computer. Yeah. At union.fit. You just go check it out and Sweet. see what you find there. And there you can search the library and choose whichever class you want. Mm-hmm. Or if you remember, you get I have 46 classes and counting recorded now. Um, so yeah, you can bring this now into your own home. I mean, I didn't really anticipate ever doing this with my work, but yeah. you know, being quarantined, it, it forced me to get out of my own box and, and it, you know, I needed to help clients um, to do more at home since we couldn't see each other. And that's kind of how it started. So yeah. Um, uh, I think it's a sign of the times and it speaks really to my message that we need to, uh, treat ourselves. We mm. have to learn how to self rescue when things happen. And not just because of COVID, but because it's your human right to know how to fix yourself. Yeah. And again, with the internet, we really can do better at it. Now in the land, in the internet landscape can be very confusing. You could Google elbow pain and not know what I you're getting. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of really well-meaning people out there trying to help you solve, for example, elbow pain. Um, but if you get with somebody that you know, this is their career and they study the human body and they're a teacher of this. Um, you know, I think you can find some, uh, some, uh, you know, great sources to help you meet your needs at home. Yeah. And just a, a testament to having kind of a, a lacrosse ball. Uh, well, I have a tennis ball at home. I don't have anything as, you know, as fancy, but, um, uh, been doing some some work under actually understanding what I'm doing uh, has mm-hmm. helped a lot uh, just in the last couple of weeks. So I had my obstacle course race, which I, I rolled my ankles twice, but I also fell off an obstacle, hurt my shoulder and, and elbow a little bit. Ouch. And this is going to be like a cardinal sin of somebody that hosts a recovery podcast show. But I thought, I'll just take the week off of not doing arms and it'll get better by itself, you know? Um, but I come back and I did my first like arm workout and it was in pain again and stuff. So I was like, okay, now I have to actually pay attention to it. So I started doing some, um, uh, tennis ball stuff work on my shoulder and on my arm getting in there in the, in the right spots. And I can feel a huge difference in it in just, you know, three or four days from actually, taking some time intentionally for it same with my knee i did a 16 mile run on sunday and which i hadn't done that long a run in a few weeks so um and i had some pretty gnarly trails i was on i did some um 
a lot of coming downhill fast and then trying to stop and turn. <laughs> and so it was hard <laughs> on my knees and stuff. And my knee was just killing me yesterday. Um, but again, I got in, got in there with my, um, tennis ball and stuff. And I was able to do my workout, um, today without a hitch. So, um, definitely if you're listening, check this stuff out, it works. Um, and it can be a game changer for you there too. So, um, we're getting close to our end of, end of time here, Sandy. Um, but I do have some quick, uh, questions for you. And I, and I know, um, we'll try to keep it to 60 seconds unless you have a, a great story. We can um, expand a little bit cause we got a little extra time here. But um, first question I want to ask you here is have you ever been starstruck by one of your clients? Uh, cause I know you've worked with a lot of famous people and stuff. So if so, if you have been kind of that starstruck, who was it? Well, there was a little bit of a starstruckness, I suppose, when I walked into the Cavaliers facility for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to deny it. Um, but they're just real people, you know, with, you know, needing to work on their bodies like the rest of us. But yeah. um, I did have a starstruck moment when the Ritz Carlton called back in 2010 with a special guest. That's all I was told. Uh, and they needed to know if I had availability and if I, what type of yoga I taught and um, if I had a backdoor entrance because this was uh, a high profile guest that had a security team. And I was like, I answered all the questions. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and yeah. then 25 minutes later, I heard a knock on the back door. Um, and all I knew was that this woman was 23 years old and was free of injuries and just wanting a good yoga class. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know who it was until the security person called my cell phone at the back door to come around and let them in. And it was Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit of a surprise. Um, and I, I was sort of starstruck, but at the same time I was a fairly new fan and I had tickets to her show, which was the following day. So when I opened the door and greeted her for the first time, I, I openly gave it her a hug, you know, yoga people give hugs to people. And, yeah. and I just said, Hey, I get you, you know, I, I, I'm a fan and I'm coming to your show tomorrow night. So let's have fun, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> it, but it was a little bit of a, um, a starstruck moment and two hours for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you had no idea who was coming through that door. You just knew it was a younger woman. No, and no, no. You're going I didn't put concert. two and two together. It was, it was quite a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> um, I was so, curious. That 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 twenty five minutes from the phone call to the arrival, I was, you know, very very curious. Like, who could this be? Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could imagine that. It's not too often you um, probably host somebody with a security team. <laughs> yeah, but it kind of made sense too. Like, oh yeah, she's. In, I'm duh. I'm going to her concert tomorrow night. You know. Yeah, 100%. So, okay. So next question, what is one thing you hear coaches tell their athletes all the time that you wish they would stop? Oh, gosh. Um, well, let's open up the icing conversation. I'll just coaches and athletic trainers are still icing in some places. It's fairly recent information that now icing is no longer um, the go-to uh, for, you know, uh, an injury or a tweak 
mm-hmm. but it is often um, convenient and available and pain relieving. So I understand while it's still why it's still available, but it's simply yeah. a lack of knowledge. We know more now that movement heals, movement cures, um, and you can Google that, and perhaps you'll have someone else on your podcast who can go more in depth on that. But yeah, um, yeah there you go. Ice okay. to the book. Um, we just know more now. Even the guy that coined the mm-hmm. phrase rice, you know, rest, ice, compression, elevation has reneged on his statement of many, many years ago um, and now recommends light movement and compression mm-hmm. to help, you know, continue movement at the site of swelling. It's about managing inflammation, not not stopping the process of inflammation. So um, yeah. I find this when I work with high school teams, you know, their resources are more limited than in the pros or even a D1 school where I, I've worked before um, that, you know, we just know more now. So it's always um, yeah. careful, careful territory. I come in as a mobility coach and for me to try to school the athletic trainer is not, it's often stepping on toes. So I will inform the coach what I know and send some articles his way. And it's up to him to have the conversation with the athletic trainer um, yeah, but I've had, I've had, I have one coach I work with who, uh, will have a kid go to the athletic trainer, get taped up and get ice packs put on. Then they come in to see me and he tells the kid to take the ice packs off and work with me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've gotten, you know, in, in, in some, I haven't gotten in any sticky situations because the coach has handled the conversation. Sure. Um, you know, you have to be respectful to everybody who's participating in the best interest of the kids. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm just one person coming in with my opinions, um, even though I feel they're correct. <laughs> uh, it's up to the coach to direct the athlete and instruct them what to do. So that yeah. can sometimes be frustrating, but I've had some good coaches that listen and pay attention and are open to um, growing and changing ideas, which this is a field that that is happening, you know, icing. Yeah, I think uh this can definitely be a, a whole podcast in in its own and it yes. will be in the future. Um, so stay tuned for that. Subscribe if you're not subscribed so you don't miss the icing conversation. But uh, it does make sense with everything that we talked to up to this point um, that, you know, mobility would kind of be at the forefront of it because icing essentially is restricting that range of motion. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, I remember you know, when I would ice something, then you feel kind of like really stiff in that um, joint mm-hmm. or, you know, because most of the times you're icing joints and stuff. Um, so it makes more sense, I guess, now um, that I've done more of the research, met people like you to to have kind of that movement um, rehab or prehab or whatever you want to call it, um, rather than you know, kind of the stagnant, um, stuff. So, um, all right, last, last question, then we'll tell everybody where to find you and, and follow up with you. So, um, if you could be the best in the world at one thing besides, you know, what you're currently doing, functional movement or, or yoga or anything related to that, uh, what would it be? I wish I could be an amazing dancer. In my mind, I'm an amazing dancer, <laughs> but then I watch, you know, music videos or YouTube clips that my daughters show me, or I attend dance shows, and I'm I'm always in awe of dance and dancers um, yeah. of all types, from 
from, you know, um, modern dance that you see in music videos to ballet and, and modern dance. I, yeah. I, I love the art of dance. I, I gave it up as a, a thing to do years ago. Um, I just dance for fun <laughs> yeah. now. Um, do you like perform at all? No, no. <laughs> in my kitchen. <laughs> in my kitchen. Um, but I, I think it's an, an amazing, I'm glad I put my own daughters into dance. Um, yeah. They are very, uh, they have a love of dance and an appreciation of music and movement in general. And they are very embodied. They, they, they feel like they have confidence in their body. They understand their body's power. You know, sports does that. Dance does that teaching children to be movers even after sport even like you know when you finish sport at 13 or 16 or 19 or 20 whenever that ends yeah. for you um find other ways to move it's 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 hard to do but um it's about being embodied which it really means living better in your body and and find other ways to do that that's my number one piece of advice for people aging out of sport or just making a shift on your own Mm-hmm. It can be a very difficult transition for people and it's worth exploring and finding out what else brings you the joy of movement um, yeah. because movement heals, movement cures. It makes your brain think better. It makes you age better. It yeah. makes you heal better. Um, and yeah, dance. I just would love to be able to, in my, to, to impress others with my dance as much as I, yeah. as much as I enjoy dancing. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what it looks like for me. It's just the joy of movement. Yeah. But I wish I'll, I'll think I'm looking great and then I'll catch a glance in the mirror and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> that's not the way it looks on the video, you know? Yeah. And it, it doesn't matter. But I just, you know, that's the skill. I wish I could dance. I yeah. wish it came as naturally to me as it does others. So keep do. dancing. Don't give up. <laughs> <laughs> I do that with singing. It sounds good in my head. And then my coach tells me to shut up in the backseat. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so dancing could be a form of like cooling down or, or warming down. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. You're moving. Yeah, I consider it when I work with some clients doing training, um, certain clients appreciate that I put in dance breaks Nice. <laughs> where it's just like, take 45 seconds and just dance, you know, just dance, joy of it. So it's yeah. fun. Fitness doesn't have to be all about tasks and sweating and yeah. hard stuff. It can, it's not it can a be checklist. fun. And it, yeah, yeah. It has to be fun. So awesome. Awesome. Sweet. Well, this was certainly an episode that I won't forget. And, and thanks so much for being on, Sandy. It was awesome um, to have Thanks for having me. So if you're listening and you want more of Sandy in your life, you can follow her on Instagram at Mobility Mama or on Twitter at Sandy Gross, and that is um, S-A-N-D-Y-G-R-O-S-S. You can check out her website at movewelled.com. She has a lot of stuff going on there. We kind of mentioned the virtual studio as well, but uh, you can join her online community on on Facebook and and a bunch of other stuff that she has going on there. Again, that's movewelled.com. Um, if you don't already have any role model uh, method therapy balls, those bottles are, are balls that we had talked about. Um, you can pick some up on her website as well. I have all the links to her website, her Instagram, her Twitter, all that kind of stuff in the show notes. And uh, Sandy, did I did I miss anything? Is there anything you want to add on on where people um, can get in touch with you? 
No, that's that's great. Thank you. Um, yes, my website is called Move Well Ed. Move Well Education is the name of my business. Business education is a the platform in which I offer um, education, and that uh, we can all stand to learn a little bit more about our bodies, so that we mm-hmm. may have greater self ownership. Yeah, awesome. that's about it. Thank you so much for having me. I, I give you um, a lot of credit for starting a podcast. It's a big undertaking, and um, I look forward to continuing to being a follower. Uh, and keep up the great work. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, episode's over. If you found value in this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. And if you haven't already yet subscribed, do so now so you don't miss any important topics in the coming week. And if you have any questions or suggestions for the show, please send them my way. I am most responsive on Instagram. That's at jcheese, J-A-E, cheese, like the food, or email me directly at jace, J-A-S-E, at scienceofsportsrecovery.com. Talk soon.